Welcome to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. My name is Anand Upadhyay, and thanks for joining us. This is a podcast about rapid change in the legal industry. We'll focus on legal technology, knowledge management, law libraries, automation, and the business of law. Today, our guest Marlene Gaybauer and I talk about creating a culture of knowledge sharing at a large law firm. Marlene is the Global Director of Strategic Legal Insights at Greenberg Trorig, and she has an interesting background as a librarian, attorney, podcast host, and executive. In this episode, we talk about Greenberg Trorig's Innovation Lab, knowledge management executives in client pitches, and starting with the client's needs when obtaining and integrating legal technology. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Marlene, thank you so much for joining us on the Modern Lawyer Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Anad. It's great to be here. So Marlene, for those few listeners on our podcast who do not know who you are, you are the Director of Strategic Legal Insights at Greenberg Trog. I always start off this podcast asking my guests to provide a kind of a, a brief or not so brief introduction on your current role, how you got there, and those kinds of things. A lot of folks on the podcast ask me about the career arc of guests on the podcast. I want to start with that, Marlene. What do you do in your role and how did you get to your position at the firm? Well, I'll start with how I got there. I am a lawyer by trade and I'm a recovering lawyer. And I moved from actually practicing law into more of the, the information management type of role a long time ago, <laughs> shall we say, and worked as a research librarian and then moved more into electronics and training and then basically became the director of the department. And at that point, I was in a director role and kind of looking at things a little more strategically and saw that there was an opportunity and need to move more into the KM space and the innovation space. So I started to do that, basically put together an innovation lab where we were bringing in different resources and testing them and getting them in front of attorneys to try them. It's been a fantastic experience because really kind of opened everybody's eyes in terms of what opportunities we have out there, gave us a chance to to market, to practice our marketing skills, to practice our analytic skills in terms of measuring use. And I think it's it's just been great. That's a great story. I mean, you, you covered a lot of things there. I want to get into the innovation lab concept. I want to get into mm-hmm. the idea of internal marketing and kind of spurring usage of technology. But I want to start maybe a few years back, Marlene, and that is your kind of your your move from a resource librarian to a kind of a electronic resource librarian to KM. Was there a common, I should say, a a thread that ran through that? Were you sitting there saying, wait a second? the wave of the future is electronic <laughs> resources and i need to get i need to get there somehow or were you more kind of you know like a surfer riding a wave that was that you kind of inevitably take, took you there well i guess a little bit of both i had wanted to be an attorney since high school and did that and and was practicing and and practiced for a considerable amount of time but over time 
really understood that sort of where my strength and where I really enjoyed things was in the information space. And so I decided to focus on that. I went to school to get my master's in library science. The interesting thing is I, I got a lot of, I, I got some advice from a law librarian that, that I knew. And she said, you already know how to do research. She goes, focus on the technology, focus on computers, focus on, on all of that, because that's where the future is. And she was absolutely right. And that's what I did. My school at the time was was very focused on like human computer interactions. So you did a lot of testing that way to, to see how people used computers, used websites, and also a lot of testing. So a lot of, of sort of just statistics and evaluation. It was great, great stuff that when I started practice, so when I started moving into to research, I, you know, I didn't use for, for a long time. <laughs> After doing research for a while, understood the need to really know more about the technology, really need to know about these resources that we are using for research purposes. So and, got involved. And you specifically mentioned, I love how you specifically called out trainings, right? You said as a research librarian, you, you moved on to electronic resources and trainings. I want to mm-hmm. get into that in the context of the innovation lab, but talk about the innovation lab and talk about how the innovation lab at the firm is kind of modeled to evaluate new products using attorneys and their attorney workflows, train attorneys on how to use those products, measure how attorneys use those products, and ultimately successfully onboard those products. How does that work? And how did you get to this idea of the innovation lab? You talk about a growth arc, and there's there's really been a growth arc from how we started the innovation lab and, and what was then Knowledge Solutions. Now, it, it actually, we work in tandem with that group. So it's, it's, and it's called Productivity Applications. And we really work hand in hand with them because we do a lot of the introduction and help with the testing. And they handle more of sort of the, the heavy lifting on, on the technology side of things. They're doing a lot of development as well as testing resources that we're bringing into the firm. Who initiates that, right? Who says, I see something in the outside world that I want to test out. It might be a good fit at the firm. I'm going to go out and bring that here and then kind of get the the gears moving at the firm side. Well, I mean, it's a combination. I mean, when we, we first started the the innovation lab, people really weren't talking about some of these innovative tools that we're familiar with now. I mean, nobody was talking about AI or machine learning or things like that, but I was reading about it and I was interested in it and just sort of brought me back to grad school and thinking, okay, this is important. We, we need to be moving in this direction. And I think leadership at the firm also, also understood that. And so said, yes, go out there and start talking to our attorneys and get them interested in this. Let's bring some stuff in. And so that's, in fact, what we did, did outreach and you know, did demos, got people exposed to these different resources, what they could do. And, and most importantly, you know, why they were beneficial both to their practice and to their representation of clients. The interest has continued to grow since then, which is exactly what we want, to the point where we've had to expand this and, you know, we've had to sort of break it out a little bit because there's so much to be done. 
What was the main motivator of the Innovation Lab? I mean, was this kind of a partner-driven thing? Was this marketers at the firm saying, hey, we need to be at at the crest of this wave, right? We need to be on the cutting edge of this. Or was this a Marlene Gaybauer led thing, right? I mean, was this someone, is this, is this led by you as someone who knows what's out there, knows what's in the firm and saying, hey, look, this is a match? Well, I mean, we definitely had leaders and, and shareholders that from the get-go knew this was the direction because, you know, if, if we didn't have that, then then I wouldn't have been able to do what, it, what I did. I kind of look at at my role as a facilitator. I was interested in it. I knew a lot about it and wanted to bring that information to to other people. Thankfully had the backing of, you know, leadership and and you know was able to do that. And I think I think we've been quite successful as as a firm in in, in bringing some of these new processes, you know, tools and incorporating them in part of our our larger strategy. So Marlene, you're out at conferences, you run your own podcast, and we're going to get into this. You have a lot of exposure to the legal tech landscape and products out there. I'm sure you get pitched at and pitched to maybe, what, 10 times a day, right? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe 20. (laughs) 20, uh, Around uh, conference season, maybe 20. You you know, Mm -hmm. what is your... Around end of of year, (laughs) maybe 30. (laughs) That's right. Now, what is your litmus test for determining whether a technology moves past your desk to actually be tried by attorneys at the firm? I mean, not even purchased yet, but just kind of given a look by attorneys at the firm through this innovation lab style of concept. What do you look for? Well, I don't think it's one way of having tools come in. I think you you have to be flexible and, and, and look at it in a variety of ways. So we have a formal process where we know what our information platform is. We know the practices that we need to support. We know the work that they do. And we keep an eye out for, you know, that type of, of solution that will, you know, help in that space. So we have requirements for that, you know, whether there's security requirements or workflow requirements. And, you know, we make sure that that it's in front of the attorneys and that they're seeing it and we're getting their feedback. And it's a combined decision based on, you know, their input, our input in terms of, you know, where we have our specialty knowledge. There's also times where we've made great efforts to highlight to the firm that, look, if, if you're hearing of anything, just let us know and we'll sort of help you facilitate that testing. And I think that's really important because again, it's not one way of, of determining whether something is a good product to bring in. One person isn't going to make that determination all the time. I mean, there's, there's just too many things out there that, and, and development is happening so fast that, you know, you really have to rely on everybody to keep apprised of things. And so if someone, you know, if an attorney or a staff member hears of something and wants to check it out, it's like, well, we'll absolutely do that. And, you know, we'll look at it in relation to the rest of the platform and and make a decision. I'm going to ask you a controversial question now, Marlene. You ready? Uh, no, I can't answer any controversial okay. questions. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to go, go 
My, my question. No, is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> my question is: This interview's are, over. <laughs> no, I know. No, cut the mic. Cut the mic. Are attorneys always the best people to determine what technologies would help them the most? Well, always is is a is a tough word, right? I think attorneys have great insights as to what is going to help them in their practice, and I would not want to go into a situation without getting their feedback if it is a tool that they are going to be using. At the same time, I think that professionals in the, you know, the KM, you know, the innovation space can really offer some additional insights and that perhaps practitioners wouldn't be aware of. And I think that combination is really a great way of making decisions. Right. No, that makes sense. Marlene, your role relatively recently changed, or I should say your title changed from Director of Knowledge Management to Director of Strategic Legal Insights. And we've talked about this before, but I'm fascinated by that that change in title One reason I'm fascinated by the change in title is because it seems like it kind of goes to the next level, right? I mean, you've you've gone from research librarian to maybe electronic resource librarian to KM to now this role in strategic legal insights. Can you cue us in on the path your career is taking, why you change your title to that, why you think it's a better descriptor of what you do at the firm? Well, I mean, I didn't change my title, <laughs> but as I mentioned, we've broken out some of our of our legal support teams to be under this innovation, this new innovation umbrella. And and the reason it was done was because it's a better model for client service, and and really that's what's driving the change, and that's what's driving what we do. And I'm very excited about this space. It's you know the way i see it it's it's really you know legal insights are, is the linchpin of what law firms are providing to their clients it's the core value of what a firm can offer a client and the role of strategic legal insights in business operations has i guess how i see it kind of a two part responsibility to making sure that access to legal insights is accessible <laughs> and to some extent ensuring insights can be communicated to the client in the most appropriate way. Got it. And what kinds of strategic legal insights are you speaking about here? I mean, are we talking about being a more efficient law firm? Are we talking about competitive intelligence? I mean, what is the kind of flavor of strategic legal insights that you're most focused on in your role? So the area that that I'm focused on is the practice of law and also the client experience. So, for example, what what attorneys have to be able to do in order to satisfy their clients, you know, clients need to see good outcomes, good reliability, good communication, and good business practice. And attorneys can't do any of that without a deep knowledge of the law, without a knowledge of the legal process and landscape, the players, judges, the people involved in, in matters. And it's our responsibility to bring that that knowledge to them so that they can do their job better. Is this a kind of a blending of information services and knowledge management with legal operations? I would say yes, because what we're doing and what we're striving for 
is to have what we're providing become part of, of the regular process, to become part of the regular workflow of the firm and of practitioners. Got it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I want to kind of transition from your role at Greenberg Traurig to your role as the host of your own podcast with the famous Greg Lambert. And I want to talk about some- the infamous, the infamous Greg the Lambert. Infamous, I should say the infamous and notorious Greg Lambert. Um, <laughs> you are several episodes into the podcast, and I want to ask you a kind of an intentionally broad question, and that is- What have you learned from talking to a lot of key players and innovative leaders in the legal space? What are your big takeaways and what are you left with after, you know, several, several conversations with these folks? Well, I'll just say I have learned so much. It's really been an extraordinary way to connect with people that I, I really never would have otherwise People are, are doing such great things out there. You know, some of the innovation going on in law schools, the impact of design thinking, litigation finance, the importance of incremental change, access to justice solutions. I'm hearing all about this through the podcast. And 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 what I also really like is that, that some of these people you don't often hear from or about. So I'm really proud to speak with them and to be an instrument to get them heard. I love that I can use a variety of my training and expertise all in one place. So I've mentioned I'm I'm a lawyer and an information professional. I also have a degree in broadcast journalism, and I've been instructed in the art of voiceover. So you combine all of that with you know, a desire to learn and create and, and <laughs> a necessary sense of humor, you know, and you and you you've got yourself a podcast. Right. And, you know, and, and also, you know, doing the podcast is, has made me more aware of all of the other great podcasts out there, you know, legal and not legal, you know, yours included. I appreciate that, Marlene. What are some of the big surprises that, that you've kind of taken away from the podcast? I mean, things that you didn't realize existed before the podcast, things in the legal industry that are maybe picking up that you didn't even know about before the podcast. Can you talk about a little of that? Sure. I can tell you about some things where, where I'm definitely, where I definitely have an, have an interest. You know, first is kind of this idea of a, of a promotion of a knowledge sharing culture. The challenge to sort of find and break down the knowledge silos in an organization, particularly as we promote innovation, because people will find their own solutions, you know, in, in, a, in a model like that. So, the idea of trying to, you know, track all that down and incorporate those into the greater insights structure and at the same time not threatening the owners, that's a real area of interest that I know I'll be delving into more. There's all kinds of wonderful technologies out there. Uh, <laughs> I just recently read about quantum computing and legal. Now, before everybody gets all crazy, it's not really happening, but IBM has a solution. I think it's called Q and they're, they're playing around with this technology. So that's very interesting. Uh, robotic process automation, uh, chatbot tech, that's of interest because it can be used to promote, you know, ease of access for clients as well as attorney and staff and 
process mapping. This is kind of a long-standing love of mine, but I continue to be excited about the intersection between process mapping and knowledge management in terms of automation and delivery and access. And the last is data science. I've in the past read a lot about this and heard speakers talk about it and what they're doing on it. We just had Jennifer Roberts on the podcast, who is a data scientist and and told us all about some of the, the cool stuff she's doing. This is part of my role right now is analytics and data science. Very exciting. So learning about this is very important to me. And because I know that that I think it's going to be different, the need's going to be different for every legal organization, depending on what they find important. So I'm going to enjoy that, that exploration in terms of how it's going to impact my organization. A lot to unpack there. There's two things I want to talk about. One is, what do you mean by knowledge silos in an organization? I, mean, I think we've heard of this concept on this podcast, but what do you mean by it? And what is your approach to combating it or you know, at least linking up all the silos so that they can pool information, which is especially important <laughs> to a very large firm like Greenberg Turek? Right. Well, when I say silos, what I'm meaning is that you know, you're going to have pockets of knowledge throughout your organization. Different groups will sort of have their own knowledge points, they'll have their own documents, they'll have their own process into how they do things. And and particularly in a large firm, you're not gonna know about those things unless you're you're making an effort to uncover that or unless you you are successful in sort of promoting this idea of a knowledge sharing culture. That's a real challenge, I think, in law firms, because I, I don't know that that's sort of traditionally been the way. And you also have business requirements that will prevent that. You have ethical walls that you have to pay attention to. You have security concerns you have to pay attention to. It's It's an ongoing, I see it as an ongoing conversation with people and departments to figure out what's important to share and the best way to do that. Now you had sort of mentioned, you know, how do you tie this stuff all together? I mean, there there are there are solutions out there that will will allow that. And it's it's sort of a very exciting space because you can tie these things together and then share what is acceptable to share. It doesn't have to share everything, but it becomes more democratic, I guess. Everybody can access to a certain extent and can use the content themselves to get what they need or to create what they need rather than having to go to someone else and say, please, you know, put this together and having to wait a few days that, you know, you'd be able to sort of pull pieces and parts from different knowledge banks and put together new and exciting content. Yeah, I mean, that's the promise of a lot of knowledge management, right? I mean, you're going to be able to pool information and you'll be able to get information in your moment of need tailored to the question that you're trying to find an answer to. Mm-hmm. But of course, as you mentioned, that requires this knowledge sharing culture, this culture of documentation, this culture. And the, and the, and the appropriate technology. I mean, it needs you right. need that too. 
So how do you create that? I mean, it's a big question, obviously, right? I mean, how do you create a culture is always a you know, very fraught question, right? But mm-hmm. what steps can our listeners, for example, take to create a culture of knowledge sharing at firms? Well, I mean, I certainly don't have, you know, all the answers in, in how to do that. Um, you know, when, when I get them, I'll write the book. <laughs> but uh, I can certainly share some things with your listeners that they could consider in, in terms of starting down that road. I think the message about how this is important to clients and why this is important to clients, I think is is very important. I also think the message of how it benefits the people who are doing work. I think that is also very important. And those are sort of soft answers. You know, we talk a lot about this on on the podcast that, you know, it, it all boils down to communication. The more I talk to people, both on the podcast and, and just in life, it, it really is about communication and, and really listening to people in terms of what, is going to help them, what they are going to find useful, and being able to tailor your message around that. And, you know, that could be listening to clients, that could be listening to your attorneys, that could be listening to staff, listening to to all of them, you know, whoever is, is going to be impacted by what you're trying to change, definitely hear them and tailor your, your message and what you're doing to to what they need. Have you seen a rise in KM executives at firms, directors of KM, CKOs at firms being more client facing? And what are your thoughts on that? What value do you think that a knowledge management executive can add to, for example, a a client pitch? Oh, I've definitely seen that rise. I mean, you've you've seen an in- increase in sort of the C-level job titles and you've seen knowledge management sort of move from the, okay, we're sort of making, you know, we're making templates to just something much more strategic. And I mean, not that templates are bad, templates are good, but uh, moving to something much more strategic and expansive, both within the firm and, and more outward facing to clients. I mean, you're hearing about secondments, for example, of of professionals, like information professionals, for example. You hear about clients, you know, wanting to to learn more about different products that are out on the market. They're wanting to understand about your processes and they want to have transparency around that. I hear you on that. I mean, one thing uh-huh. I've learned from being in the legal technology space that I didn't know when I was a practicing litigator at a, at a large firm was the fact that, and I didn't know this, the fact that in-house counsel actually cares about how you get the work done. Not just that the work is getting done, you know, here's the brief, it's a nice finished product, but they actually, and I think increasingly based on a lot of my discussions with in-house counsel, they increasingly care about the process. Is it the best process? Is it efficient? Is it designed and mapped in a way that increases accuracy? Where do you think your role and your team's role kind of plays into that? That's the, you know, the project management, the process mapping part of things where it becomes very transparent as to how you handle things. And, and in that type of review can figure out the, the most the most efficient. You know, another thing I think we impact in our area is data visualization. So 
showing the process in a visual way or showing information in a visual way. There's one good example I have where a practitioner that I know was actually using a uh, due diligence tool and, you know, was so efficient with that, had some extra time and was able to put together some, some visual reports in terms of, you know, where risk lay and the client loved it. They loved it because it was very clear. They could see very clearly spoken in a language that, that they, they very clearly and easily understood and they thought it was great. So that's the type of thing where I think we can help. I love that example. I mean, to what extent do you think? Hopefully I can still use it, but we'll see. That's right. That's right. I mean, how, uh, how do you think we could use data visualization on the litigation side? I mean, have you, have you used that in pitches to clients or status updates to clients? I mean, to what extent is there interest from the client side in that? Oh, we absolutely, we, we've used it in all of those, all of those scenarios, you know, data visualization is, is about getting to sort of the core message and putting that in the type of display where, where people can immediately see the message. They don't have to sift through a lot of material to get there. It's very quick. And again, in, in a business scenario, in order to get the, an accurate and quick answer, that's what everybody's looking for. So Marlene, are you saying that the quarterly client status letter is insufficient these days? I would I would never say that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a need for for the long form as well, but I think that both types of forms can be used very effectively. Absolutely. Marlene, I want to go to uh, another topic now, and it's a topic where I, I really view you as a, as a kind of an expert or a specialist, and that is in getting adoption and usage of legal technology at the firm. And I know that you spoke on this very recently at the ARC Knowledge Management Conference, their annual conference in, in New York, and you ran through a case study. You know, you don't have to specifically talk about that case study, but I kind of want to get your playbook as far as how you've been so successful to not only just evaluate and bring on new technology at the firm, but actually create a plan and a structure to get attorneys to use the products that you've brought on. I know that's a major pain point for a lot of folks in knowledge management at big firms. Yeah. And, and again, like not one answer. I mean, I can tell you a little bit about my experience and hopefully that will, will be helpful. This goes back to sort of the love of analytics. And that's kind of where we started years ago, where in terms of just reviewing the information platform and what was being used appropriately, being able to look at actual data, evidence that people were using it or not using it in order to make decisions, you know, really was probably the very beginning of what we're doing here. And from that, we started looking at, okay, we're looking at, you know, here's the data and we're going to make a decision on it. And then from there, started looking at, from a strategic standpoint, it's like, we need to grow this and sort of make this, this a little more sophisticated and incorporate this into our strategy. So we started being proactive about putting out analytics to whether it's decision makers or practice groups and letting them know where the value add was and what was being used, what wasn't being used, you know, having those conversations. 
And then we kind of moved past that. And I think this is where we're, you were getting to was the, the case study where we started looking at KPIs or success metrics. You know, what would constitute success? And that's where we started having this discussion about adoption, that we wanted to be more proactive in this, this area rather than just sort of looking at, okay, how are we doing over the course of time? Saying, okay, this is where we want to get to, and that's going to be our standard. And working a project plan around that. And, you know, that's what we did. We, we had sort of multiple, can I say it's case text? Am I allowed to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) That's what I figured. (laughs) So this case study involved case text. What we did is we, you know, we did a couple different things. We, we had an innovation challenge, which was firm wide. And, and, you know, there was a focus on, on litigators given the product and, we went through our project plan in terms of how we were going to introduce this and different ways we were going to introduce this. So, you know, we had sort of more traditional training, you know, had flyers out in the coffee room, had kind of one-on-one discussions, visited offices. We basically took elements of gamification and used that in a contest, which I think went very, very well. We got our business directors involved in the discussion because, again, they're kind of in the ground on the office and can kind of keep the, the conversation going. We used evangelists, all, all of the, you know, the traditional things that you do to try and promote adoption. But I think the success metrics were, were the key there to sort of say, you know, how are we doing? And we could measure on an office level or a practice group level, like, are we getting towards that goal? We were very successful. We surpassed the goal that we wanted. It was something that we realized, okay, we need to do more of this. And so we are going to be doing more of this and incorporating more analysis into adoption. Got it. And so if, I, if I'm if i accurately repeating back what you said, you kind of started out with, you need to know where we are to determine whether something is used sure. or not. Yep. You, 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 need to have, you need to have your base level. Right. Um, and then you need to say from there where... Where do we want to go? And, you know, I was thinking kind of in terms of, of sales where, okay, you know, we want you to get to a certain point in terms of sales. So we're saying, okay, in terms of use, where do we want to go? And, you know, what do we want to get to and get the buy-in from leadership in terms of like, yes, this will, this will constitute, you know, we're, we're comfortable with this being, you know, a success standard. And, you know, we were able to meet that. And I think, not only is it a great because we were able to really promote this adoption because of course you want to use your your products well but i think it's also a good way to show your value that you're thinking strategically you know you've set these goals you've accomplished these goals and people can see that in in a very evidence based way i love that you mentioned a couple different pieces of internal marketing that worked, right? I mean, there's some things that are really, really basic that work, right? Like you mentioned flyers in the coffee rooms. Uh, flyers in the coffee rooms work. I, you know, I don't care what anybody says, though. They work because people will go, and I've had this happen over and over again, where people will, will I'll be in the coffee room and and people will say, Oh yeah, what's this all about? I mean, because they know I'm part of the group. And so then, you know, you have your your opportunity to do your your elevator pitch. I remember um, a conversation with Scott Rechef and CKO of Littler, and he said that one of the uh, you know, one of the best pieces of internal marketing he ever did for the knowledge desk 
was buying these little leather coasters that just made their way everywhere and that said knowledge desk. And it was simple as that. These inexpensive yeah. coasters got this idea of the knowledge desk in everyone's head and people started asking, what's the knowledge desk? Simple as that. I think the idea of getting the message into people's everyday experience is incredibly valuable. This doesn't have to be a formal process doesn't have to be okay. You know, we're all going to have a formal training and, and everybody has to come and it's mandatory. Those things definitely have their place, but I do feel that it's important to do it in combination with a plan that will basically get it out in front of people when they're not even expecting it. Right. You, the other thing you mentioned too, with, with respect to marketing, and it may be a slightly different category, is gamification. Can you tell us what that program was at the firm and your guess or theory as to why it worked? Yes, I will. And, and so essentially what we did is we divided the target user group into teams. And we, you know, we looked at we had different offices. And so we had to look at the size of the offices and the size of the litigation team in each of them to make sure things were relatively equal. And, you know, we had weekly contests and we had individual winners, we had team winners. So that way, if you were, you know, on a team that wasn't quite as inspired <laughs> that, and you were, then you also had an opportunity to win. We had lots of little different prizes at each level, you know, and then we also had, had a grand prize. So, there was a lot of opportunity to win something and, and be recognized, not just sort of one big grand prize where people might have gotten disengaged over time. It kind of, we kind of kept the momentum going. And, you know, we made sure that, that everybody knew. We kept people aware of how things were going uh, among the teams and, and why this works. Well, and again, I mean, I don't know if it works everywhere, but I think attorneys are competitive. I think people like games. I think you're going to see that more as you have new practitioners come into the fold that are, are very familiar with like reward systems of video games and things like that. And it gets people engaged in a fun way that keeps their interests going everybody likes a reward. And so if you're learning about something and you're rewarded for it, I think that makes the experience that much nicer. Let's say a firm can't do gamification for whatever reason or decides it doesn't fit the culture or whatever it may be. What is the most effective message that you've used to get attorneys to use some piece of legal technology? It doesn't need to be even a litigation tool. It could be a, a due diligence tool or a contract review tool or whatever it may be. What really resonates in your mind and gets people from reading your email to saying, okay, all right, I'll do it. I'll, I'll take a look at this tool. Well, first of all, you can't just send out email because <laughs> yeah. nobody nobody reads email. <laughs> but I, I think I'll, I'll go back to something I said before in terms of the most effective message. If they understand how it benefits the client or how the client is aware of these things or is using these things, I think that that is a big influencer. And again, thinking about how this is going to impact the end user, looking at, you know, listening to them, hearing what they have to say, 
answering their questions and, and showing them that this is a benefit, that this is actually going to make their work easier for them. And it's going to improve things as, as opposed to, this is a cool technology and now I just got to learn something else. You know, nobody, nobody's interested in, in, in that type of change management. I think, again, couching your message in, in terms of this is what's going to help both you and the representation of your client. I think those are, those are the most effective messages, at least that I have found. Right. No, that, that makes a lot of sense, Marlene. I typically wrap up with the following question and, and I'm especially interested in your take on it. And that is what's next, right? What are you seeing out there with respect, not just to cool and inter- interesting vendors and tools that you might've seen at, you know, legal week or other conferences, but what big trends are you seeing as we kind of move to cam 2.0, if you want to call it that, maybe I coined that probably didn't. But what do you see coming up next and what challenges, obstacles, opportunities are we going to be seeing from this vantage point? I guess I would say a couple of things. I think how, how law firms package their service, I think we're going to see some big shifts and, and we're already, I think, seeing some shifts that way. And that's a big shift. I mean, sort of the the whole work structure and and who does what and how we bill, how we present value, I think is is going to change. You know, you're going to see, again, a lot more process. You're going to see a lot more teams. You're going to see a lot more automation and technology impacting how work is done. Another area I think are are the analytics. and, And I think this year, you're starting to see some interest in that that pick up quite a bit. Analytics, I think, are, are, are really a key in terms of kind of understanding how the package of services is going to change. You're going you're going to look at evidence and see what's the appropriate staffing model, what's the appropriate price. I mean, do you view that as you know? So I've got kind of two prongs here. First of all, do you view that in the future as something that could be handled algorithmically? Namely, I could look at the associates that can do the work that have the requisite expertise and based on the staffing model that I want. And I could look at maybe who needs the hours and who is not going to be on vacation during key times or who's not going to be out on trial at a, at a certain time and quickly put in my requirements and get a readout of, hey, you should staff the team up with these five people. Who has the best success record in in this type of representation? You know, who has the best success record in this jurisdiction or with this judge? Sure. Those are all things that that we could see. And why wouldn't you want that as a client, right? I mean, you want want the, you know, to use a baseball analogy, you want the best hitter against that pitcher, right? Why not? Well, I mean, I think it's going to take some time for people to become comfortable with that type of decision-making. I mean, it, it took a while. It took a while in baseball <laughs> for that type of decision making to, you know, to, to to reach a comfort level. And now, of course, everybody's doing it, right? But there's there's relationships to consider, and and I think clients and and attorneys, you know, want to continue relationships. I mean, you know, people are human after all. But I think you can still manage those types of relationships and incorporate this type of decision making if you're looking at how you would package this differently or how people's roles 
might change. I mean, you may have the relationship and, and foster that relationship, but be more of a project manager, I guess, and have the appropriate specialists handling what they should be handling. The value is that that you're doing this for a client. And as you said, you know, having the best people doing the things that they should be doing, getting the best result. How does KM play into these pricing packages? What information do you provide to, for example, the pricing team or the pricing executive at Greenberg Torg? And I know Greenberg Torg has invested a lot in this. What is the place for KM and pricing to work together to provide the client the best service and the best quote and the best kind of a full plan for representation? Again, I think metrics and analytics have a big role in the pricing area. We actually have people in our revenue management department that are, are devoted to that. And, and you know, actually they are in the fold of innovation because of exactly what you said, that there's there's so much opportunity here to change models. Marlene, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our discussion. It you know, ranged from a lot of the new things that you're seeing out there on the market to a lot of your thoughts on spurring usage and adoption. And I really appreciate your time, Marlene. Thank you for joining us on The Modern Lawyer. Thank you, Nat. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at onin at casetext.com, tweet at us with the hashtag Modern Lawyer, and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.